Welcome to Threshold Stories, crossing thresholds one story at a time. I'm your host, Jeff Gora. U.S. women have been dominant in the world triathlon stage for many years. However, the men haven't enjoyed the same success they've had. Project Podium is the United States' response to trying to make our men as competitive as our women. Today on the show, we have Parker Spencer, coach for the U.S. men who are participating in Project Podium at Arizona State University right now. Parker has eight athletes who are under his tutelage, and he's preparing them to take their spots on the world stage as the U.S. strives to become one of the best in the world at triathlon for men, just as we are for women. Parker Spencer, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. On this show is uh, our uh, all-time favorite po- project podium coach ever, and the only one the United States has ever had, for that matter. But um, before we jump into anything associated with your current day job, I want to replay the hands of time, which kind of connect me to you in a very unique sort of way. So I am yeah. in September or October, I think it's August actually, of 2017 with a fully charged cell phone in hand filming the Parade of Nations at the ITU multi-sport event in Penticton. I think it was the ITU's first time they ever did one of those. And of course they start with the A's. So the country of Aardvark went first, followed by the country of Anvil and whatever they are as they go through the alphabet. And we close in near the very end of the alphabet and, of course, the U's show up. And so I start filming Team USA as they go through it all. And we were all assigned, I'm going to call it a uniform, but we were all assigned clothing to wear um, that, you know, signified, dignified the United States in the eyes of the world. Remember that? Well, we are going through this parade of nations, and there's this guy in line who's not wearing the Team USA parade kit. He's got a Liberty University shirt on instead. Well, that was you. And I remember looking at you thinking, all right, so this guy's already got this uh, avant-garde side to him, and I like it already. And so I, I stopped the filming, and I walk up to you, and I start talking. Do you remember this? Yeah, definitely. So my son played football at Liberty, and his roommate, Matt Bevins, whom you ended up getting to know, was head of compliance at Liberty. And then the conversation leads around that, oh, by the way, my name's Parker Spencer, and I coach triathlon at Liberty. I just thought that was such a God event that we're in another country, three time zones away, and we connect like that. Because I believe I had a Liberty uh, shirt in my bag with me that I was planning on putting on at the end of the Parade of Nations if I'd gotten too hot and sweaty. Right. Is that not the oddest way to meet or what? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember that just like it was last week. I know, right? And, you know, I started digging... I found out that you are what I call a, a, a Liberty guy or a Liberty kid. So your connection with that university goes way back. Um, yeah. And I kind of know what that means since my son went there as well. But what, is that, what did that mean for you coming out of a, a, a strong uh, Christian university, strong foundation like that? Yeah, you know, like li- Liberty has always been a huge part of my life. Uh, I've, I've went to... Thomas Road Baptist Church growing up, which was mm-hmm. the Chancellor of Liberty. Jerry Falwell was also the pastor of that church. Right. And then uh, also went to Liberty Christian Academy from LCA. preschool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from preschool all the way through 12th grade. And uh, I honestly never considered even going to another university. I didn't apply for another university. I mm-hmm. only applied to go to Liberty. And one of the reasons was at the time, they don't do this anymore, but if you went to LCA mm-hmm. for your four years of high school, then you got 
a four-year scholarship tuition free at Liberty University. Uh-huh. So that was that was one of the reasons I was able to go through college with literally zero college debt. Uh, yeah, because considering it's ahead. a private school, that's basically unheard of. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I also, my, my dad worked at Liberty for the majority mm. of my life. He was, he held various different positions there, but was one of the people that was instrumental in starting the online university, which no is kidding. massive now. So I just, I honestly never considered going to another school. It's just what I always pictured myself going to. And I wanted to run track and field there, which mm-hmm. is what I did. And then was on the track run team there. And, uh, yeah, it's a really special place for sure. So when you were an adolescent boy, just starting into the business of life, what, what was your dream outcome? Were you thinking fireman? dentist, uh, missionary, what did you desire to be when you grew up going through the Liberty LCA system? Uh, You know, that's funny because I remember even, even when I had applied for Liberty and had to put down a desired major, Mm -hmm. I put undecided and I didn't even know in high school. I, the majority of it was really, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I knew that, uh, I wanted, my biggest concern was really being able to make a living and support a family one day. And I remember my freshman year of college, just feeling like super overwhelmed by the fact that I was going to have people that was dependent on me for their survival mm-hmm. and that I just had that pressure. So I, my, I actually started out as a government major at Liberty mm-hmm. and with a pre-law focus and planned on going to law school after, after graduation. And I didn't switch my major to exercise science until my junior year at Liberty. So I was no kidding. through my entire degree. Um, and, uh, and when I was sitting in a constitutional history government class one day mm-hmm. and everyone in the room was super interested in what the professor was saying. And I, it, it was like the most boring <laughs> thing that I'd ever listened to. Oh, that's, and, and that's when, that oh. was the moment that I knew I was in the wrong place. Change your dog tags. On yeah. That so I, I was taking a health class just for the fun of it as mm-hmm. an elective. And it was really, really interesting to me. And, um, health fitness has always been a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and sports have always been a huge part of my life. I wasn't just a one sport athlete in high school. What I like to tell everyone is that I literally tried them all until I started running and it was the only thing that I was decent at. So that's when I kind of stuck to track my senior year. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in, in high school, I played basketball, football, uh, tennis, golf, um, and then did uh, track. And uh, that was finally what I ended up just falling in love with yeah the velcro really struck hadn't... with the track yeah exactly so and I'm, uh i'm gonna yeah, jump in so with another story for you kind of kicked and all that because yeah. i want to do some um i want to get i want to get a crowbar out here and do a little bit of prying into your faith here so i am at um the first football event that's public after my son had signed and committed to going there in the fall and um the coaches had told us that he had won the starting job 
And so we were excited about that because a lot of freshmen do not start in Division One football. And um, I'm sitting in the bleachers, and there's a fella a few seats next to us in the bleachers, knowing good and well that everybody in the bleachers early like that must have been parents of somebody who was on the football team. And I hear him talking, and I know exactly who it is because of his voice, and he's the announcer for the Carolina Panthers. And he was a um, former, you know, Super Bowl player himself, won a ring. And, um, you know, I'm kind of aggressive in my meetings of people, kind of like I was with you. And I went up to him and introduced myself, and he's, and I asked him outright, like within the first 60 seconds of talking with him, I said, Eugene, his name is Eugene Robinson. Eugene, if you're listening in, you're on, baby. Um, I said, why is it that your son is at Liberty instead of Ohio State or Southern Cal? Because, you know, if you're a Super Bowl winning football player and your kid's getting ready to play Division One football, you would think you'd pick one of the best football schools in our country, right? It's kind of matter of factual. You know, if you're hungry, you generally don't go to the soup kitchen, right? You go to the best you can get. Not that Liberty's a soup kitchen, but it's not Southern Cal, right? right? And he turned to me and he said, this is where God wants my son. And I didn't have a response. I was like, wow, I like this guy. <laughs> I mean, he was just right out yeah. there. And, you know, Liberty has a lot of that. There's a lot of people who are just, you know, laying it out there with their faith and, and what it is. Um what was that experience like for you being surrounded by those with strong faith and you yourself having strong faith? Oh man, it was incredible. And that's why, that's why I never even considered going to another school. Right. Like it, it was, it, it really was the only school that I felt like was for me and where God wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the fact of getting, having a scholarship and all that. Sure. But I, um, you know, once like, when I was in high school and running was such a massive part of my life. Like I didn't, I wasn't like a regular high school kid. Like I, like my junior and senior year, I was really focused on trying to be the best runner that I could be. Cause I wanted to be, I wanted to be able to run on a D one. Well, how many miles a week were you doing then? So I was a middle distance runner at the time. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like crazy, uh, distance miles but we were running consistently around 60 miles a week Mm -hmm. and um and I that that became such a big part of everything that I focused on like I won't I focused on every meal being what I could recover from my past workout Mm -hmm. and make sure that it was something that wouldn't hurt me from doing the best I could in the next one and um and when I got to college and my, I remember my freshman year at Liberty, mm-hmm. uh, they have these uh, Wednesday night. Uh, people talk, talk about Liberty a lot with, when it comes to convocation and how it's a requirement and all of that. Right, right. Well, well, well you, you look at Wednesday night church service, mm-hmm. and it's completely elective. You, can, you, you go to it if you want. And they had to move it from the main sanctuary at Thomas Road that that fit 6,000 people and the Vine Center that fit 13,000 people because mm-hmm. they didn't have enough seats in the 6,000 mm-hmm. people wow. um, sanctuary. What a statement but for I, elective. I, yeah, so I remember going to one of those services and, uh, and what the pastor was telling me was like, or was speaking on, like it really hit me hard because I thought, man, I absolutely love running and track and field and mm-hmm. maybe it's become an idol. And that's mm. what he was talking about um, was 
things that can be an idol in our life. And in front of this entire arena of 6,000 mm-hmm. plus people, it was standing room only. So it was more than 6,000 people in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, he finished, they were having, um, they were finishing up the, the service with a, a couple songs and he was on the stage and I just walked up on the stage and asked if I could talk to him. And, uh, he let someone else close out the whole sermon uh, and the whole service and just, mm-hmm. he took, took me to a back room and I just kind of laid it out to him and told him that mm-hmm. like, I love this sport so much and maybe like maybe what he was having to say was like speaking to me that I should do something else because I was doing too much of it and he Mm -hmm. was like no 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 you're listening to me though like you're getting totally the wrong message from what I was what I want you personally to hear from that I'm like okay and he's like I God has given you a passion for a reason and the best way that you can worship God and for a lot of people, it's not just standing in a church service with your hands up singing a song. It God's put you on earth for a reason, and he's made you passionate about something for a reason. And the best way to worship him is to just go all in and do your, and make sure that you're doing your absolute best at perfecting your craft and doing it in a way that um, points others to him. So what and, if he had told you the other, Parker? I know that had to come to your mind at least once since that special day. What if he'd said, ah, you are worshiping it? I don't know because as soon as he told me that I just, mm-hmm. my mindset just totally switched. And I, so I, I honestly mm-hmm. don't know what I would have done, but I think that it was a rhetoric question. I don't know what I, I don't even know how yeah. to answer that, but yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Um, but I'm glad he didn't. And I've talked to him since. And it, it's funny because I think it was probably eight years after that conversation mm-hmm. I was, uh, Liberty had me speak for five minutes in convocation. Hmm. And so I was speaking about triathlon and cycling to 13,000 people in the Vine Center at Liberty. Hmm. And the pastor that was speaking that day mm-hmm. was the same guy. No he kidding. No longer worked at, and he no longer worked at Liberty. And we were in the back room um, before we were going out. And I told him, like, dude, I'm standing here today, like, about to tell everyone about triathlon and cycling, honestly, because, like, what you told me in that room eight years ago. And uh, it's something that I literally think about all the time. Like, God's made me passionate about now triathlon. And I feel like there's nothing that I could be better at as far as occupation goes or what what I have really focused a lot of my life on at this point uh, at perfecting and it's being a triathlon coach, not just an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I could almost end everything right now and thanks for coming on the show and all that goes with that because I, you just, you know, just tore my heart out. <laughs> right. That was, that was a great, great piece of your life segment that I just didn't know existed. But you know, there's a lot of people on who want to know more about Project Podium and all that goes with it. So I got to kind of shift gears for a second. Yeah. Um, so one story of Project Podium's existence goes something like this. U.S. women in triathlon have been really good for a pretty good while now, and they don't need help. Oh, by the way, the men need help. What are we going to do about it? 
And Project Podium represents the response to that. The other one is a lot of the other countries in the world have detailed, structured programs, federation-led, to try to make other countries' performance as high as possible on the highest stages, and we haven't done that. Which one is it for us, do you think? Um, <clears throat> or is it neither? Is it something, is it a third option that I have not yet heard? Um, I mean, it's definitely a bit of the first option that um, our women have done so well. And when we look back at where, where are we kind of missing out on mm-hmm. the men's side, uh, we, we've, like, the, the great thing about our sport is, like, it, it's, it's one of the few sports that the price purse is the same for the women that it is for the men. Um, it's one of, it's one of the, the few sports that, um, that like the, the women's side of things is just as exciting and if not more exciting on multiple different, multiple different, uh, ways than, mm-hmm. than the men's side, which is awesome to be a part of. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, I think that what we've done, uh, like the, the NCAA movement is, it's not just good for the women's side of the sport it's also a huge thing for the men uh just because it's making our sport even more and more popular mm-hmm. in in the country and but what it has done is there's there's this gap that has been there and existed on the men's side for a long time and part of it That's is right. that we've got we have really really strong juniors and some at, at guys like austin Hine, uh like dar smith that are winning national championships and world championships um, and triathlon, and then we lose them in the sport. And they take a four-year scholarship to go run somewhere, and Mm -hmm. then they still have a passion for triathlon, jump back in it four years later, and we've missed out on four years of key triathlon development. Mm. And that's why Project Podium exists. It's to give athletes like these guys that are in our program now and – an avenue to continue their triathlon journey and mm-hmm. really giving them an opportunity that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And that is that we're helping them achieve their college goals. They're getting a degree at Arizona state university, mm-hmm. but they literally are compete starting competing professional right out of high school. And they're not competing against other universities. They're competing against other athletes in other countries all around the world. And, here we are, we're, we're like a year and a half into this, really almost two years into this now, mm-hmm. like 19 months or something like that. And it's, uh, yeah, there, there's always going to be up and downs. And that's the way it is when you're starting something completely new. But the fact that we have started a program from the ground up that didn't exist two mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm. and had athletes qualify for the Pan American Games had multiple athletes qualify for the um, junior and under 23 world championships have had world cup podiums, um, many continental cup podiums and like, it's awesome. And it's accomplishing the goal exactly what we're exactly what we're trying to do. Now I don't want to sit back and pat, pat ourselves on the back too much because this is, it's a really hard thing to accomplish and you always have to be, like you can't think too much about the past. You got to just always be thinking about 
how you're going to meet the demands of competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really proud of the environment that we have, and I'm really proud of the guys that we've recruited into the program because they so, are the guys that I know are going to get the job done. So let's let's jump back to the 2019 season because a lot of people have heard the name and they see a few um, you know marketing blurbs that come across, but they don't have any certain any so any kind of facts on what happened. So in 2019, how many athletes did you have compete? And eight. And so just kind of just do a flash timeline. Take us through 2019, where you competed and how you did, say, in 60 seconds. Start in January and go through till the end of the season. Well, you didn't start in January, but start yeah, start so, where you went and go through. So people listening in have a clue about what we're talking about. So even back in the fall of 2018, it was really just getting things off the ground. Right. So a lot of some of these guys we, we recruited back from other universities was a mm-hmm. bit of my strategy at first. And it was making sure that, uh, I, I mean, we wanted to start a program within a month and I knew that starting it with freshmen was going to be pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, knowing that them and their families had just made this huge decision about what university they were going to go into. So what I really wanted to do was focus on the guys that we may have missed a year or two before. And so I recruited guys who had just finished their freshman or sophomore years in college and uh, and then we did have a few that were freshmen um, that had come into the program a little bit, mm-hmm. like maybe a, a few months later. And so the the fall was just about let's get these guys racing again. And mm-hmm. back into into the whole ITU, some of them they did their first professional races. Then uh, over the winter, mm-hmm. we did things a little bit differently than what you might normally do. And part of it was we really needed to start the 2019 season like just coming out of the gate strong mm-hmm. and uh, almost at like a peak at the beginning of the season because we had guys like Tony Smorgowitz that um, needed to improve his ranking so that he had a shot at going to the 2020 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for all of our other guys that wanted to qualify for under 23 world championships, the criteria is written in a way that you have to have a certain number of points to even be in the conversation. Um, and it's a lot, a lot of it's done by ranking. So we had to come out strong so that we could get the points that we needed to get into the races that we needed to, to So you were peaking ahead, ahead of schedule start. is what you're saying. Yeah. We peaked way ahead of schedule and we came out of the gate just swinging and had a really good start of the season. So talk to everybody and, through uh, that. What was the, when did the season start? What were some of those first races? So actually a year ago today was the first, was the first competition in Cape Town, South Africa. Mm. It was a world cup mm-hmm. and Tony Smorgowitz got second in that race to Alex. He arguably the fastest runner in the sport and mm. beat the, uh, and beat um, the, 2016 bronze medalist in the Olympics in that race. And wow. And and it it was a breakthrough day for him. Um, it was, it was a breakthrough day for me as a coach. And, you um, think? and yeah, and then, and it, uh, and I think it, that alone just gave our entire team some momentum where other guys, like everyone, there's this buy-in process of, yeah, you think you're doing what you need to to be ready to go, and then there's the relief of, okay, I'm actually doing what I need to do to be able to show up to these races and succeed. Mm. And so we had um, 
Mm-hmm. Like in, in a in a team environment, you're always going to have like kind of a mixed bag when you go to a race. Some people are are going to do really well, and other people are going to w- way underperform. Things are going to happen, like sickness, flat tires, crashes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're celebrating success with some, and you're managing disappointment with some at the same time. So as a whole, we had like a lot of success early on, and we went to Claremont. So, some so, guys have some so great races. Cape Town jumps Florida. to Claremont. So from Cape Town, we go to Claremont down in Florida. Yeah. Yep. Down in Florida and um, had some decent results there, but not fantastic. And mm-hmm. then we went to Sarasota the very next weekend and had some guys um, mm-hmm. that were top five and several in the top 10, um, which was really wow. good. Wow. And then and at the same time, Tony was in Malulaba. Australia mm-hmm. and uh, followed up his second place World Cup with a fourth place World Cup. So he's and now racking up the points. So he racked up the points, got, got what, he, what he needed to points wise to put, put himself from seventh ranked American all the way to second ranked American over the course of, the, of a month, halfway basically. through the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we, we, we continued to have. Um, success and then of course just like anything there's missed opportunities as well and we had some travel problems we went to Barbados for a race and uh, mm-hmm. and we scheduled the, the flights on purpose to get there um, really close to the race so that we actually didn't spend a whole lot of time there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and but what what happened was we got a canceled flight and um, so travel problems made it really tough that we actually got in the country and raced not like just over 24 hours later. And, um, everyone felt terrible just because of being stuck in an airport for too long and all of that. So there's definitely, there's a lot of success, but there's a lot of, there's also opportunities. And because we peaked so early, then what's naturally going to happen is you, you, you can't hold on to that momentum right. and even hold on to that fitness all mm-hmm. the way through the year. So um, we definitely went through like a bit of a drought period in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and when you that, say a that, drought period, what does that drought mean for you guys? Uh, we, we just had some, we were, we were going to competitions like we needed to uh, in order to get, the ITU points that we needed, but mm-hmm. the, the guys just didn't perform nearly as well as they did at the beginning of the year. And, uh, and so what we ended up doing was taking a little bit of time off and letting the body reset for some of the guys. Um, Chase McQueen got a fourth place in Kazakhstan um, in a race there. And, uh, and so that, that went well, and that was at the near the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. And then we we kind of went through the month of most of July, most of August, just mm-hmm. resetting the body um, for those that weren't competing in the World Championships, and um, and then go into the end of the year uh, with some really solid results, and that's what we got. Um, Dar Smith, he uh, mm-hmm. was first, and the with the Argentina Continental Cup, mm-hmm. and then uh, the following weekend was second in the Santiago 
uh, Chile World Cup, or sorry, Continental Cup. And um, so we we finished the year uh, with some good results. And uh, some of the guys, we decided to go ahead and end their season after the World Championship. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, just because just because they've been racing since February. Mm-hmm. So it was time to relax a bit and let the body reset and let the mind reset. And so there's a lot of lessons learned from last year, um, but there's not a lot I would totally do different. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that... Well, you're the coach, so it's kind of on you, right? right? It's Yeah, exactly. You got 51% of the vote here. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, definitely that I've said many times in the past year and a half that this is the craziest game in the world. Like, you're literally deciding what continent in the world that you're competing in next. And you don't want to take your guys to a race that there's no competition at, even though they'll get a good amount of points because as a development team, the whole point is to give them opportunity to learn opportunity to be successful opportunity to actually race against people that are, that are legitimate competition. So who are you, who have you lumped together as your legitimate competition nowadays? That's a, that's a question I suspect you get asked. You know, one cool thing is that, um, I mean, as a, as a whole, Europe, is still just dominant Mm -hmm, in most endurance sports. But every country, I feel like, has some really high performers. Even Kazakhstan did? uh, There's a few in Kazakhstan, but no one that's that's absolutely, Mm -hmm. like, at the top of the top. But, like, I think of some of the South South American countries that we're competing against, Mm -hmm. and Brazil has some really good triathletes. You've got uh, Diego Moya from Chile that's been in a handful of races with us, and um, and he's done really well. And uh, we did have the Pan American Games last year, and mm-hmm. so that was kind of what I ended the summer with. With Austin Heinemann qualified for that, and um, went over to Lima, Peru, and uh, it was his first Olympic distance race, and he was 12th in like a major competition, and wow. so. I was I was happy with that, especially for a 21 year old guy. Um, so for it, uh, for the triathlon really nerds well. that are listening in, because we have a few of them, can you spit back the numbers he got on his first Olympic ever? I mean, don't I'm not going to hold you to the microsecond, but so plus or minus, what I, was his swim time? I couldn't tell you. To oh, be honest. I have to see it right in front of me, and right. it's just because these courses we're we're not, especially at the ITU level you rarely think about time except for really the run. Um, like the, cause of the it, variation in the course, variation in the course, variation in competition, the different tactics that you have to do during the race. Um, some, some races tend to be a whole lot harder on the bike while others, the entire group is together and it's just everyone out for a Sunday stroll hmm. on the bike. Um, and then it just comes down to who can outrun everyone. But it did go well. There was um, some, a really big hill on the course, and uh-huh. uh, for the bike that uh, you hit multiple, multiple times, and uh, he did well there. So, um, yeah. So it's. Uh, so he's climbing. He's climbing up. He's hitting the top of the climb first. You're saying, or near the top. Um. He. So he's. Uh, he just could hold his own against guys like the Pan American Games is the 
is the third biggest race in the world um, as far as or the third largest event in the world. You got the Olympics. Sure. Yeah, you got you got the Olympics, and basically the Pan American Games is like the Olympic. It's it's just below the Olympics, and it's just the Americas. So you got North, Central, South America that compete in that, and it's all the best athletes. Many other countries have their Olympic qualification at that event. Okay. Um, we we didn't we didn't use it as Olympic qualification, um, but you you've got like. Uh, with Brazil used it as their Olympic qualification. Um, I know. And then I think Argentina did as well. So, uh, so there were some true celebrations for those countries at the finish line. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, um, play this out for us in, um, a sort of put it in what's going on in 2020. We're basically into February already. What's on the, um, the list of, of goals for 2020 and where are you guys going to reach those goals? Yeah, we we're starting the year off much different than what we did last year. No um, ready fire, um, no no ready fire aim this time. I mean, I I think my guys are ready to show up and and do really well, but by no means have we been uh, sharpening up at this point to have them at their peak. It's all really thinking, um, focused on world championships um, that are back in Edmonton, Canada again this mm-hmm. year, and. Um, and then also uh, Tony qualifying for the Olympic Games is definitely still in the cards. And so what we've done this year is been, we're being very, very strategic on what races that we're actually doing. Not that we're not normally, but it's uh, last year I, I, I feel like we took quite a bit of um, risk and on what races that we did go to. You know, like, okay, you've got an opportunity to do well here, but, like, it, the demands of competition mm-hmm. could be at another level. And this year, we, we know really well what the demands of competition are going to be at the events that we're choosing. Mm-hmm. And it is strategically built to start with some momentum, um, like we did last year, but we've been focusing on a really big base when it comes to um, uh, just their training. And then we've just now started sharpening up with a little bit of speed, but nothing like what we were doing last year. So I leave for um, Havana, Cuba, in two and basically a week and a half. And uh, so, does that we'll represent like a C race, a, a B race? You said it's not an A race. Is it a C or a B in your mind? So with uh, ITU races on the elite level, you've got three different three different levels mm-hmm. and there's three and with each level it's higher points that you get as well. And so you've got the continental cup level, you've got the world cup level and you've got the world triathlon series mm-hmm. at the highest level. And it's um, harder to get into each level. Uh, you have to have, uh, there's a couple of loopholes, but for the most part you have to have a certain number of ITU points and have to be ranked in a certain uh, nationally you have to be ranked in a certain, like within the top five really mm-hmm. to ha- have some good opportunity and world getting in the world cup and especially WTS. So this is a, con- the, we're starting out with continental cups for everybody. Okay. okay. And they're really easy races to get into, but, um, that the competition at them can still be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Havana is a great race to start out with. Um, competition is good, but it's not going to be anything like what we'll see in Claremont or what we'll see in Sarasota. So, um, but Havana is an Olympic distance race. Mm-hmm. Then t- two weeks later, um, we'll be in Claremont, Florida again. And then a week after that will be the Sarasota Continental Cup. And then a week after that is actually a Sarasota World Cup. So it's on the same course, but it's a higher level of competition, different athletes. Um, so you're going to stay there for the whole week, or are you going to go back and forth to Tempe during that time? So not all of my guys will compete in all of those. Um, okay. We've got, uh, even, even though we are a team, even though we are a group, um, everything still is based very individually. And even when it comes to their training, it's individualized training with the benefit of having a group atmosphere. So tomorrow, for example, we're doing um, a quality run session and I've got three different sessions between seven guys doing the workout in the morning. So are they different um, distances or different paces or both or all of it. Yeah. Different distances, different paces. It's, it's all based off the individual and, um, and, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it helps a lot having other guys out there doing it at the same time. So, we, uh, same thing when it comes to their schedule is it's really individualized on where they're actually competing. Uh, we try to get them competing in the same races as much as we can. It just helps from logistics and all that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, sure. yeah, but yeah, so we'll, we'll be in, I personally will be in Florida for about a month, um, between Claremont, which is in the Orlando area and then Sarasota for two weeks. And then, um, and then we have a few guys that will race in uh, Brasilia, Brazil mm-hmm. World Cup uh, at the beginning of April. Then we'll go back to Barbados. And this time we're leaving much earlier and learning from last year and have a handful of guys doing that. And, uh, and then we've, we've got basically the last race for Olympic qualification is uh in yokohama japan in may um near the how many people do you expect would you like to see at that from project podium um we'll most likely just have tony there okay um and that's just purely based off the the all the ranking so that's a wts uh, race it is yep yeah it's a wts race and uh you never know what's going to happen. And on the men's side, it really still is wide open. Um, the way that people were, were performing, performing at the beginning of the summer or the beginning of the year last year versus who was really performing at their best at the end of the year was totally different. And, Mm. um, we, I mean, we, as a country, our men, um, finish like really, really well. And we at at the end of last year, when you look at uh, you for you to qualify three spots for the Olympics, mm-hmm. um, you have to have at least three athletes ranked in the top thirty in the world. Mm-hmm. And we're at the end of last year, we were the only country in the world that had qualified both three women and both three men. No kidding. So yeah, so as a country, like 
honestly. That's 10% of the world's total slots just for the United States. Yeah. Uh, I think 2019 for USA Triathlon Elite was probably the best year ever when, when you compare men and women together. Wow. So you feel like you've got some pretty good anecdotal evidence that things are already getting better, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, it, they, they say like a, a rising tide floats all ships. Mm. So mm. I like when, when you see some really like Matt McElroy was second and lead WTS um, this past year. Right, right. And, Remember that. and yeah, and that um, no one had done that since I think it was 2012 when Jared Shoemaker won the Hamburg um, WTS. And that was the first year of the World Triathlon Series. And I, obviously where we are in 2020 as a, as a sport is much different than where we were at 2000, in 2012. So the demands of competition are way, way higher even now. So for Matt to do that, it, it had not been done by an American man and in and, and recent years. And um, it it's also, I think, from guys that had competed against Matt and, and some, some days beat him and then some other days he beat them, gave a lot of people confidence. But it's like, okay, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. And... Mm. But I, I think more than anything, it shows, I mean, you, you had, Matt was a highly recruited athlete out of high school for running, went to um, NAU and uh, competed on that team, which is now one of the most dominant teams in the country, and then went into the collegiate recruitment program. And it took him like several years to really find a stride in triathlon, but um, it's exciting to see a guy like him and then, and Ian O'Brien, uh, who coaches the origin performance team. Ian has been just like such a great friend and great ally for me. Uh, and it's one thing that I really love about mm-hmm. where a lot of us are as coaches are in the sport now, where for years and years, and even me and as an assistant coach in different and at, at different world cups and stuff like that is that, Honestly, at there's times in the IT level that the coaching environment itself among coaches mm-hmm. are, is really toxic. Like no one, no gets kidding. A, like they, they weren't getting along. People are fighting over stupid stuff. It's like the whole like um, trying to decide who sits at what table at your wedding because your uncle can't get along with your with your grandpa or whatever. Well, that's <laughs> and, a bummer. Yeah. So it's uh, what's cool about even since I've been in this role for going on two years now is I feel like that culture is really starting to change. And I've got like Ian coaches, other Americans that are competing against my guys, but he he also coaches a a handful of internationals Mm -hmm. and um, he and I have great relationships and he's, uh, and he's also someone who's been doing this for at the IT level for much longer than me. And he's been totally open and honest with helping answer questions that I might have or a resource for me. And so, um, so are you so recruiting the same people even now for the next year? Um, like as far as, uh, he next, and I going against each other. Yeah. The next generation recruiting? of project podium people. Um, you know, he, there, there's been conversations when there's an athlete that we've both been interested in. Um, 
what's also good is that we've got really we got some mutual respect for each other mm. and the biggest thing that i see get in the way of other high performing programs mm-hmm. and um and and the coaching environment in general is just the ego that some people mm. have and i i just know that if i'm making decisions based off my ego then it's only going to hurt my athletes and and in turn hurt me so ladies and, and gentlemen listening in, anybody who just heard that, that applies to life everywhere. When you make a decision off your ego, literally everybody you're trying to make it for ends up getting injured. Just take that away and file it on your fortune cookie shelf, ladies and gentlemen. That was Parker's snippet of the day. Well, and, and I'm obviously I'm human. And so when I, when I hear people say things about me that I don't like, like it bothers me mm. and while there has been a handful of that, I also know that in a position with more responsibility and more eyes on you, you're always going to have that. Mm-hmm. And there's not a leader in this world that doesn't have people criticizing them on a regular basis. Pretty much. And so I've, yeah, so I've kind of taken that as um, almost a little bit of a badge of honor if I see something on that that I don't like or whatever. Um, but like back to what you said about recruitment is Ian and I've just had open conversations on where an athlete, like if there's a particular athlete, where we think that they will be most successful and what makes the most sense for them. And he's, I, I've, um, I've like backed off athletes because thinking that they're going to be better off in origin performance. And he's told other athletes, like project podium is meant for you. You need to go there. And that's the way it should work because at the end of the day, it's about, helping these athletes perform their best, not who's got the biggest ego and is getting all the athletes coming to them. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't even realize there was an indirect competitor to Project Podium. I thought men's triathlon at the collegiate level-ish was Project Podium or club, and that was about it. Well, he's he really, it's athletes that have um, graduated uh, from college and where do they go from there. Mm -hmm. Um, Project Podium really is, like I'm, I'm confident it's the best place for guys who have met a certain standard um, to be as far as collegiate track run goes. But that's not to say that there's that project podium is for absolutely everyone um, that meets that standard either. Uh, Sonny Dyer at Queens University has an awesome program going on. I competed against them for years and years at Liberty and have nothing but respect for him and what he's doing. The Naval Academy, um, obviously, it's prestigious to go to that school in general and just by itself. But their triathlon program is really good. Um, Billy Edwards does a great job there with them, and you've got uh, uh, Colorado Boulder. Um, you've got uh, John Mason at Colorado State University. There's some really solid collegiate club programs out there um, that are also good options for men. Um, and that that's the world that I obviously came from and those relationships that are still really important to me with those, with those coaches at those schools. Um, and they are doing a good job. Well, that's awesome. So thanks for the update for everybody listening in. That might be some of the more um, interesting information you get out of the future of triathlon for the United States of America, specifically the U S men under Parker's tutelage. Parker, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, you represent, the guiding light of the future of our sport um, globally for the United States of America. 
And I know you do it for a paycheck, but you also are um, making any difference in the lives of a lot of people, both participant and spectator alike. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time. I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks for listening to this chapter of Threshold Stories, Crossing Thresholds, One Story at a Time. Be ready to cross more thresholds with me in two weeks. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page at Jeff Gora Team USA. 